If you would turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. Hebrews, I should probably turn my Bible there. I don't have it memorized. Hebrews 11, 1 through 6. Are you there? Good. It's on the screen if you're not. It says this in Hebrews chapter 11, 1 through 6. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it people of the old received their commendation. By By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he denied, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I believe more than anything, just as a a declaration, going into 2017, that for each and every one of us, wherever we're at, that this would be really truly a year of faith. And that it would be a year that in every way, whatever it is, and we're going to make mistakes, we're going to fall short, and things are going to happen but that it would be a year that would be pleasing to God. My hope for you is that you would go into 2017 with the mindset that I'm going to live in faith this year. And I know that even before I jump into 2017, but as I jump into 2017, that I have this expectation in my heart that God is pleased with me and he he will be pleased with me and he is going to reward my faith. So many of us, we jump into, whether it's a whole year or just a day, with seemingly very little faith, maybe because we're not totally sure that God is pleased with us. But my hope is that you would step onto this platform and you would catapult from this place where you know that God is pleased with you. And he has an expectation that you would live a life, not a perfect life, not a super religious life necessarily, but a life of faith. And he so desires to take pleasure and to reward you for that. It's December 31st. And it's this really interesting time in our culture where we reflect back on the year that we are almost complete with. Speaking of that, I have an announcement that I should probably make. Sometimes I get off script. Uh, (laughs) In light of it being December 31st, I'm I'm really glad that all of you are here at the 606 because we have an event tonight starting at 9. We'll get back to the spiritual stuff in a moment. Starting at (laughs) 9. Starting at 9, we have a very spiritual New Year's Eve party because sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is have a lot of fun in a healthy way. Come on. We have a New Year's, par- New Year's Eve party at 9 p.m., not a.m., that we'll meet in the lobby, and we'll just gather, and we'll hang out, we'll have a really good time, we'll have games, and uh, just diff- different stuff to do, already need water, different stuff to do, um, there's going to be a, a soda bar with these really cool craft sodas, that'll be really good, and then after that, 
the much-anticipated intimacy project, um, which is this really beautiful, I saw the script, um, this really beautiful worship experience, a comment, something that we've probably never experienced before. We can't maybe say that in total truth because we haven't seen everything that people have ever, ever done, but we really, in a lot of ways, have never seen anyone put a worship experience together like this, and well, that will follow the party, and we will worship Jesus into the new year. Amen? Amen. So you're free to stick around for that, um, or just invite your friends or whatever you want to do. So back to the Bible. Um, <laughs> but first, water. Where were we at? 2016. It's a very interesting time, and uh, maybe it's a cultural phenomenon, but at this point in time, um, there's something about going into the new year where we're just like, fresh start, blank slate. Maybe it wasn't in the best shape in 2016, but it's January 1, and I'm getting in shape. You know, it's like I, I already, I actually emailed Micaiah, and I was like, Micaiah, tell me how to eat good food because I don't know how to. Um, because there's part of me, Chase is like, there's part of me that just knows because it's the beginning of the new year, I have like, I can put everything else behind me and I can start fresh. And I think maybe even deeper than this desire because it, it happens in a lot of different ways, not just only physically. We, there's so many people, like the amount of gym memberships that are, maybe have already been purchased but are going to be purchases astronomical and then by february all those people cancel their memberships but but there's something about in this moment where we can just start fresh maybe as a, a parent you're like 2016 was not my finest moment but tomorrow i get to start brand new maybe as a husband or a wife same thing 2016 was i have a lot of growth and a lot of uh, advancement and a lot of ways that I can be a better spouse, but I'm super excited because tomorrow is the beginning of a new year, a blank slate, a fresh start. And I think really, even more than just this cultural, because it's so like, it's like, it's silly to me. It's like, why is it just this one day where we take on this mentality and mindset? Because if you're anything like me, I'm like, on December 22nd, I'm like, yeah, Jan January 1st is eight days away, and I'll start over then. And until then, I'm going to live it up. It's so odd why we do this. But we do it. And I think it's because there's something deep down inside of us that has this deep yearning for a new beginning more than anything. Really, this desire to start off on this fresh blank slate, again, to try to find the fullness of our humanity, to be fully alive, to be fully human, so we come into 2017 and we set goals and we set resolutions and we have this vision and this dream. This is what it means to be fully human. Which brings me to an interesting question. What exactly, and maybe some of you are like this, maybe you've gotten to this point where you're like, I don't do resolutions and goals anymore because I don't know. I've got a lot of failed years. A lot of good years too, Chris, that's right. But it brings me to this question, what does it really mean to be fully human? If we are going to start out in 2017 and you should have goals and resolutions and all those things are great, but they need to look a certain way, I would imagine, in order for us to have success. 
So what do they need to look like? What does it really look like to be fully human, to be fully alive? Because if you're anything like me, I can't go into another year wanting to be fully human, but not being totally sure what that even looks like, because that in and of itself can be a very paralyzing place. Because I have this desire, but I need to know. Let's go back to Genesis, the beginning in and of itself. Actually, that word Genesis means beginnings. And in Genesis chapter 1, we see the creation. This is important because this is where we get our framework and our reference for what it means to be fully human. The first day of creation, God is, there's just this image of this, this stirring. It says the, the spirit it just hovers over the darkness and we hear the words of God, let there be light. And it's just like, there's just, go with your imaginations right now. There's just light. And God says that it was good. That's the end of the first day. And then the second day, there's this light and there's waters. There's this expanse and there's this separation of the waters. He says, this is heaven. And he looks on and he says, it was good. I just see this image of God, not just as this distant, far-off deity power, but this very creative, personal, passionate, intimate God who's in his fullness because he is God and he can't be anything else, just creating and expressing the fullness of his character and his heart. Just So we have light, we have heaven, we have an expanse, two days, and he looks upon both those things and it was good. And then we have a third day. And God sees the waters apart from the heavens and he, he gathers ground, creates land. He looks at it and he says, that is really, really good. He's not done. The fourth day, this land is it's lights and land and let me make sure I'm on the right day. I'm just a man. That's right. Day four is not vegetation, it's stars. Hangs the stars and the moon and the sun. Have you ever thought about the universe before? The other day, I was driving home the other night, for, last night, from Sandpoint. And my wife is like, look at all the stars. I'm like, honey, I'm driving. Bad idea. But I began to think about them. And we, there was this one star that I could catch as I was 10 and 2. And uh, I literally I had a shiver come down my spine. Because I, in a moment, I began to think about the, the expanse, the bigness and the largeness and the beauty of the universe. And I thought about, I believe in love of God who designed it and created it and hung it. And it was just this insane revelation. So he does that. He, he hangs the stars and the moon and the sun. He says that it was good. Then the fifth day creatures and vegetation just come sprouting out of the ground and we begin to see this beautiful often something that we can better comprehend because we live on this earth which is it looks a lot more like earth but we can begin to see the beauty of the world around us in a natural sense come into existence and then he says that it was good and then day six comes and he's like i'm not done with the creatures and the beasts so he creates more creatures and beasts and they begin to roam the earth and then the culmination of his creation, at the end of the sixth day, 
he says this, this interesting thing. He says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And we see in Genesis 2 that he takes the dirt and he moves it together. And he just breathes into it. And mankind, God's greatest creation, the pinnacle of it, you and I, comes into existence. And he looks upon us and he says, that is very good. And then day seven comes, and God just chills. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I'm God. I'm almighty. It's really beautiful. And it's really good. And he just rests. It wasn't because God was tired. I think it actually speaks a lot to what we should experience in 2017, that we would be people. Really, this is what it means to be fully human. If you and I are created in the image and the likeness of God, it's this word that really speaks to like a signet ring like this one. If I were to put this in a, a, a clay mold, what you would see in the clay mold is exactly what you would see in this ring. It's a perfect representation. That's what God is saying about you and I, that we are created in his image and his likeness. Therefore, we are to live lives that represent and look like him. Lives of creativity, lives of passion, lives of making beauty and enjoying it and resting in it. So we see at the end of all of creation, we see God in this creation. We see man and woman, and they're enjoying it. It says in, in Genesis 2, when God commands Adam and Eve how they should live, he says, enjoy all these beautiful things that I've given you. Take responsibility of all the creatures and the beasts. Enjoy the good things to eat. Just don't eat from one tree, but enjoy everything else you're spoiled. I mean, it's a beautiful scene. And to me, I look upon that, especially going into 2017, and I look at that and I think, that's what I'm trying to get back to. That's the way I want to live my life. That's what it means to be fully human. Now, let's address the elephant in the room. Some of you are maybe not as optimistic about 2017, and maybe you're not as optimistic about what it means to be fully human. Because after Genesis 2, we see Genesis 3, which is the fall of man. Sin enters into the world. We see Adam and Eve, and they're full of shame and guilt, and they've been eternally separated from God. This beautiful scene all of a sudden becomes very dark and tense. And that really, in a lot of ways, in, in every way, is what we live in Day, out, day in and day out in this life apart from God. And often what life looks like in light of the new year, in light of the day and age that we live in today, is we live these lives where we're trying to figure out, despite the brokenness and the, the tension and the, uh, the shame and the guilt that we often live in, as, live in as human beings, is how can I get my way back into the garden? But for many of you, you've lived many new years and you've gone many years where you've been like, I got goals and I got resolutions. But again, when February or March rolls around, it doesn't really look like the Garden, in, garden of Eden around me. My life really seems a lot more shameful and, and full of guilt and darkness and just chaos and messiness. So we have this weird tension when we're in this current moment on this night, I hope, 
There's something inside of us because we were created in the image of God that looks on 2017 very hopeful and excited for what's to come. But then there's a part of us in our humanity where we know that there's just a lot of brokenness in this world and we're doubtful. So we're conflicted and we're like, just how should I feel about 2017? How should I feel about this life in general? Should I have hope? Is there really a way that I can get back to that reality, that place in the garden, full of peace and tranquility, experiencing God in his presence and all the good things he's created for me? Or will my life continue on, broken and chaotic and dark, full of turmoil? Now, as Jesus followers, like the Hebrews that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11, despite the opposition and despite the dilemma internally that we have being sinful in our nature let me say this despite the distortedness of the world that we live in often you and I were still created in the image of God and no matter how dark this world gets that image that you were created in will not be taken from you You have to know that. That in and of itself will give you hope to move on. Because the reality is, is there is great opposition in this life. The Hebrews that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11, these were people who were Jesus followers. But they were facing great religious persecution. And they were in this moment. And the writer, we're not totally sure who wrote this letter. But he's trying to encourage them, to exhort them. You need to move on in your faith. Again, if you find yourself in that, that conflict where you're like, yeah, I got hope for 2017, but as I look back, despite maybe some good moments in my life, I'm not totally sure what 2017 holds, and maybe the, the, the pessimism and the hopelessness is taking over. I'm here to exhort you and to encourage you tonight that just because of the opposition that you face, just because of the tension and the turmoil and, and whatever is going on around you, you were still created in the image of God and the likeness of God. And God has a future for you. So this is what what the, the writer in Hebrews says. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. The interesting thing about, about faith is we use that word a lot in our community as Jesus followers. And if you're anything like me, especially if you didn't grow up in the church, or maybe if you did, that word, because it's used so frequently, and it's really a big, often mysterious word, I mean, have faith, Craig. And you might be like, well, what exactly does that mean, Connor? Have you ever been in that place where someone's like, you just need to have more faith? You just need to to figure it out. Just faith it into existence. People have said that to me before, and I'm like, duh, you're literally no help at all. Moving on. Because I appreciate the sentiment. I really do. It's very spiritual of you to say that. But I don't know what it means to have faith. And the reason why, even in a moment of this conflict where I'm like, I'm hopeful, but I'm pessimistic, and I know what I'm supposed to think and what I'm supposed to feel about what's ahead of me, but I also reflect on what's behind me, and I'm really understanding of the circumstances that I'm in, and they're really hard. I don't know if I can move forward. As we live in this fear, 
taking this chance. Because we're so used to and so desensitized to often the darkness around us that maybe really what is ahead of us isn't any better. Someone says, someone says have faith, you're kind of like, I really don't know what it means to have faith because I've been trying to walk and live a life of faith, but it doesn't seem like a whole lot is changing. This is what I think it means to have faith in a very practical sense. I think faith really, in light of what Jesus has done for us, let me remind you, that gap that was made by our sin has now been, there is a way that has been made in order for us to get back into the presence of God through the life and the teachings and the sacrifice of Jesus. So we have a hope, a real hope, a real way not just to live lives of mediocrity and just trying to get through the years, but to live lives the way that we were originally created and intended to live. To live lives that despite the brokenness and the tension and whatever is around us, to live like we live in the garden, enjoying the presence of God and all the good things that he has for us. And we're in this process where the reality is, is that heaven is invading earth. God's kingdom is coming, and we just in this life, again, despite the stuff that's going on around us or the brokenness or the sin even that's being worked out inside of us, slowly, bit by bit, we get to enjoy more and more of God's kingdom. In our relationships, in our marriages, in our kids, in our workplace, just more and more because we believe in Jesus and we believe that he has made a way for us to get back into God's presence, that day by day things just get, keep getting made right and things keep being made whole. But in order to experience that, in order to experience the reward, to experience heaven, it says that we need to have faith. So again, we got, I'm at this place where I'm like, okay, what does it mean to have faith? This is what I think it means. When I think about faith in light of Genesis chapter 1, what, what I see in Genesis chapter 1, it's actually, I'm trying to get my model, and I think, again, just go with me here. This might sound different, but I really think it's sound theology. What it means to have faith is to, to take that capacity to get back into the image and the likeness of God that God has made me in, in this life, in light of the brokenness around me, and to see the good things that God has prepared for me. Faith, really, the word that I often exchange it with in my own life, is vision. Because what we see is not only did God look upon what he had created and said that it was good when he saw it, but I believe that there was a vision in God's heart before he created it. Before it was even good, he saw it and then he created it and he saw that it was good. So what the apostle is really writing to the Hebrews is enter back into your image and the likeness of God. Enter into the capacity you were created for and see the good things that are ahead of you. The things that you hope for, that you have assurance for. Things not yet seen in your present situation, but things that lie ahead of you and see them and have vision for them. That's what it means to have faith. So many of you are like, man, my pastor, my marriage is falling apart. I need you to help me out. And we can give you advice and all those different things. And whether it's a pastor or someone else, they'll say really, really good, nice things to you, hopefully, and pray for you. But at the end of the day, the biggest problem 
is you're not operating in the image and the likeness of God because the thing that you see is the marriage of your past, the marriage that's broken, not the marriage that God has prepared before you, a marriage of beauty and restored love and gentleness and patience and caring for each other. When I counsel with people or talk to people, so often they're talking to me about the things that they're going through that are really hard. And the things that they're saying and talking about are things that are behind them. And I'm just like, man, you're, it's like you're driving a car looking in the rearview mirror. Have you ever driven a car looking in the rearview mirror before? Two things will happen. You'll go nowhere. Hopefully, because you're not pressing on the gas pedal, because you're looking in the rearview mirror. Or, you will drive looking in the rearview mirror, and you will not see what, a, what is ahead of you. And you will get in a crash and destroy your car. Metaphorically speaking, in a spiritual sense, what I'm speaking about is people who live life with a vision of what's behind them, and that's all that they see, but they're trying to drive, and they're just living lives of self-destruction. But faith, or you could do this, you could drive your car this way. You could drive your car looking at the stars. <laughs> this is what literally happened last night. And this is, I'll make a, a good spiritual analogy. My wife was like, look at this star. I was like, Brianna, I really can't. She was like, no, 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 it's okay. You just look at one star. I was like, no, I really can't look at the star. And she was like, yeah, I know you can't look at the star. Because this is what she knows about me. Anytime I take my eye off the road and look off, <laughs> we ride bikes together in the summer. She either rides behind me or in front of me. Never beside me. Because she knows that when we're riding next to each other, that I'm so captivated by her beauty. <laughs> that I just look at her. And my sight and my vision is on her. So you know where I go? <laughs> Following Jesus, living a life of faith, going into 2017 is not a life lived seeing what's behind us. That's not a life of faith. That's a life of condemnation. That's a life of guilt and shame. Now, I'm not saying that that's all your fault. I get the weight sometimes of the things that are behind you. But living a life of faith is not living a life looking in the rearview mirror. It's not living a life looking next to us, at the people running next to us. That's often the next greatest temptation, a life of comparison. I had a guy come into the church, and ironically, I have never seen him again. And he was in a really dire spot. And he was looking out at those pictures of all the people you say, man, I see these families. They have such beautiful families. I want to have a wife and a family like that. And he couldn't stop talking about the pictures that he was looking at next to him. And I just couldn't help but think to myself, uh, think to myself especially in hindsight, which hindsight is always 2020, is I think that guy was driving and living a life where he was looking at the people next to him. And if you just 
live life seeing what's next to you, comparing yourself to the people driving next to you or uh, the, the spiritual people right next to you, like, man, am I as good as he or she is or am I as spiritual? Do I have as many scriptures memorized? You will eventually drive yourself into the, the ditch because that in and of itself is not a life of faith either. That is an incomplete version of vision. The life faith that God has for us is a life looking ahead despite the people next to us or the things that that are behind us and looking ahead at what God has ahead of us now the problem is is it's really ahead of us it's not quite come into existence yet that's what faith is is seeing the very thing that's ahead of us and being able to put the car in gear and take the chance and set out on the journey and press on the gas. And despite the storms or whatever might come, despite the people that might, your past might be coming at you full force behind you, bumping on your tail in the car that you're driving in the life and the process you're living. And you might just be so tempted to look in the rearview mirror. But I'm telling you, put your face and your heart and your vision forward and step on the gas. By the grace and power of God, you will outrun your past. It's already behind you. Those people next to you in the cars driving in their spiritual race, whatever, however you want to think about it, that's their car to drive. If you're in a car, stay in your car. You can't drive and unbuckle your seatbelt and step in to their car. Not built that way. If you try it, it will probably end up really horrible. Spiritually speaking, the same thing. Don't try and get in someone else's car. Stay in your, your car might not look all that great. It's probably not brand new. Whatever. There's a brand new car ahead of you. In another garage, I'm not just talking about cars, but seriously, like, on the journey that you're on, we go from glory to glory. Which means, if you're not a church person, which just means that as we follow Jesus, there are storms, but things get better and better. Man, if you're here today and your marriage is stressed, and you maybe you're like, in the middle of a divorce, you might be ready to sign papers next week. I'm telling you, God has a restored marriage for you. The reason why you want to sign those papers is because you're looking at your marriage through the rearview mirror. And you're probably also looking at the marriage of maybe your pastors or other really good Christian people, and you're like, I'm never going to be able to drive that car. I wonder how often, not how often, I wonder how much God has ahead of us prepared for us. And we never step into it or access it just because we're not willing to look for it and look at it. Man, I'm telling you, and I'm not trying, I'm not, I don't want to be so like 100,000 feet in the air and like super like rah, rah, but I really believe that there are insanely good, beautiful, redemptive, restorative things and people ahead of you in 2017, but it's going to take a commitment to drive your car and to run your race with your head and your eyes and your heart and your mind and your soul straight ahead. Now, here's the other thing. Where are we at? How much time we got? <laughs> the party's at 9, so we got an hour 20. 
yeah, Chase, I know we got to get ready for it. That's my, oh man, Chase. Okay, back to my notes. Let me ask you a question. In this moment, look at 2017. Just begin to think about it. What is it that you see? What is it that you see for your family? What is it that you see for your workplace? What is it that you see for your kids? Like, really, be honest about what it is that you see, man. God has awoken when I think there's just something that God's doing in me, and it's a combination of me reflecting on Genesis. Really, man, Genesis 1, the creation story, if you don't think about it in this really rigid way is so beautiful and I see that I look at the heart of God and I see him say you were created in my image in my likeness and I've given you that power then when I think about what I see I begin to think and see a different way I begin to think in alignment with the garden and see in alignment with the garden and then I begin to realize that God has created me with the capacity to see something and to speak it into existence so you need to figure out right now maybe not right now you got some time but begin to think about what it is that you actually see. Really practical. Just a, uh, um, my own testimony. I've told you before about the story between, about me and my wife going dancing. Some of you have heard that. So I won't tell that one again. <laughs> Even more honest and transparent. This might be hard for you to believe, but... Sometimes I'm not super excited about coming to church, just honestly. And it's because in my heart and in my mind, I have this vision of church that's not loving, that's full of criticism, and that's like shaped and controlled by the brokenness of you and I and the people who gather here. And it's really, it's this vision that is breathed and birthed out of my own insecurities, so I have this vision of church, and sometimes you may not see me, because that's sometimes, just being totally honest, I've hid before. Because I see, I have this vision of going up to people or talking to people, and, and my insecurity is being exposed. So you know what I do now before I go to church? I recognize my desire not to come to church, and God says, that's not right. And I begin to have a vision of what church should look like and can look like. And I literally see myself walking up to people just full of joy and excitement, remembering names <laughs> and greeting you by them. And I don't, there is no, I don't imagine criticism, although I know that it will happen. I don't imagine insecurities. I just have this vision of this beautiful gathering of people full of peace and joy. Maybe it's not even people who have it all together. Like, here's the different, here's the thing. Don't confuse fantasy for vision. If your marriage is going through it right now, and I'm like, what do you see? And then I'm telling you to see in faith. Don't imagine, like, if you're a husband, don't imagine your wife just doing all the things around the house and catering to your every need. That's a fantasy. Women, that's not a knock on you. But what I'm saying is that's not really what God created marriage for. Maybe what you need to see, 
Because maybe you have some hidden sin, or you know that she has some hidden sin, or whatever it might be, and you, need to, you know you need to have a certain conversation. But the vision that you have of that conversation is a vision of a conversation that's full of anger and beating and, and just whatever, and abuse and shame and guilt. What you need to see is a conversation that's full of humility and transparency and tears and restoration and hugging and loving. Because that is what God has for you in 2017. He doesn't have a fantasy of a world that doesn't exist. He has a world shaped by his love and his grace and his power and his mercy. And here's just the maybe a newsflash or reality check. It's not always the most joyous thing or doesn't always feel good following Jesus. And it doesn't necessarily look the way that you want it to. And it can be very dark at times. But the light and the love of God, when we see it, pierces that darkness and it begins to disappear. And relationships are restored and work becomes joyful again. And your kids are, you're hopeful about your kids. I mean, if you've got a kid who's crazy, which happens, I was that kid. Don't, don't. Seriously, don't, if your kid was out the night before and you know what he or she was doing, don't think about what he or she was doing. Don't be ignorant, but don't think and dwell on what he or she was doing. I would challenge you, begin to envision and see your kid following and worshiping Jesus. See it. See it. Because dwelling on the past, driving, looking in the rearview mirror will never get you anywhere. You will either stay stagnant or you will get in a wreck. But if you look forward, I remember one time driving in Walla Walla, Washington, coming home from a baseball tournament, me and my dad, and it was literally raining so hard with our windshield wipers. When we turned our windshield wipers all the way up, we couldn't see still. We could just see a little bit down below. So we both, I was like, Dad, I'll watch for you. No. The windshield wipers were going, and we got to wherever we could see. We didn't stop. We didn't look behind us. We knew that would do us no good. Following Jesus, you will have storms and rain and different things that will happen, but keep your eyes ahead. Can I give you five smooth stones? No, we're not done yet. Five smooth stones in honor of our pastors. Five smooth stones. If you don't know what that means, did you say neither do I? <laughs> I know what it means, Craig. David slayed Goliath with five smooth stones. These five things, I hope, will get you through the Goliath that you will face in 2017. Amen? Five smooth stones. First thing, will you put that slide up there? Dream about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2 says this. You know what? You can put it up there. Yep. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Here's the thing. It could be at the office, it could be at the workplace, it could be in the middle of a fight with your wife. If you would just begin to think about Jesus 
and dream about Jesus. Just get face to face with Jesus. And think about his grace and his lovingness and his, just who he is. It will begin to do something inside of you. And it will bring you to this place where you can therefore step into all that he has for you. But it starts with looking at Jesus. It says the author and perfecter of our faith, which really means this. The person who began your story of faith and the person who will finish it. And he will write everything in between. If you want to run a race of faith, if you want to live a beautiful life, if you want to get back to that state in the garden, living in the presence of God, dream and envision and think about Jesus. Smooth stone number one, second smooth stone. Dream big, think small. If you're, again, I'll just use, uh, let's use a different example. We've been hitting on marriage a lot. Let's say this is one that we don't talk a lot about that is just as, it's really huge. It's the hugest one. Let's say you're a really proud person. Like your life is shaped by pride. No one can say anything to you. You can hardly have conversations anymore because if someone disagrees with you or doesn't see the things that way that you see them, you just explode and you get so angry and you can't control it and you're just like, just so full. You live this life just shut off and sheltered and separated from people. That's a real thing. Envision yourself just this peaceful, graceful, joyous. Imagine yourself having the conversations that you already messed up, but having them again. Imagine yourself going to the people that you've maybe written off or really spoken ill about and to, and and imagine yourself apologizing and reconciling with them. That's ultimately what's ahead of you. And I would dream as big as you can. But what does J.O. say? You eat an elephant one bite at a time. You got to dream big and see what's ahead of you, but you got to think small. What can I do right now in order to begin to change and transform and have a vision? I mean, here's the thing, hypothetically, and I don't know if this is what God has for me or not. If he does, great. If it's a church one day, leading a church, I can't dream of this church and then not show up here day in and day out and be the pastor that I would want to be one day. Man, I just got to, that pastor that I want to be one day in that church and that community that we want to have, that starts right now. In every opportunity that I get to be the person that, that God has created, we're, we are in a process. God is preparing us for the promised land, so to speak. You got to dream big and you got to think small. Sometimes people get so just tortured inside because they have this dream. But they don't do the small things, take the steps to get them there. And they never get there. And they just, they get to the end of their life and they don't, they're just so full of whatever, depression and anxiety and worry. Dream big, think small. Third small, uh, stone. Identify your sacrifice and look beyond it. In Hebrews chapter 12, it also says this. It says, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. Again, newsflash or just reality check. 2017 is going to be a year of blessing. It's going to be a year of faith. You're going to experience the pleasure and the reward of God in your life. But there are going to be sacrifices you're going to have to make. And if you get to those sacrifices and you forget what's ahead of you, that sacrifice might overcome you in that that whatever it might be that you're going to have to experience, it might overtake you. I can imagine that if Jesus just would have looked at the cross 
and would have forgotten about you and I gathering in this place, freely worshiping him, living lives of joy and peace, free from our own guilt and shame of the sin that we've committed. If he would have taken his eyes off of that and just looked at the cross, I wonder if he would have gone through with it. I mean, think about what he says in the Garden of Gethsemane. God, if there's any other way, if there's anything other than the cross, let's go for it. But nonetheless, your will be done. Because I know that despite what I have to bear, the sacrifice I have to make, I know that your will is what's waiting ahead of me, the reward for that sacrifice. So look at your dream, identify the sacrifice, and then look beyond it. Because when you see what's beyond it, when you got to have those conversations with your wife, when you got to have that conversation with your kid, when you got to have that conversation with your employee that's really, really hard to have, but you know that the purpose of it ultimately is to bring restoration, it will bring you through. Because you know what is on the other side. Number four, find people to dream with. I didn't know what to write on this one. I thought to write, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Because, but I didn't write that because I don't want to state that we should just surround ourselves with people who think like us and dream like us because then we would probably neglect the people that Jesus is calling us to reach because the reality is, is the people that Jesus is really calling you to reach in the dark places and the hard places, the hard conversations are probably not people that think like you do. Or shouldn't. If you think like those people, you should probably think differently. Seriously. If your vision is in alignment with the vision of people who don't care about God or think about God or love Jesus, you need to check your vision. You're probably driving looking in the rearview mirror or at them. But you should hang out with those people and just get your vision right. But you also should have people around you who have a very similar vision, people really close to you, who are going to encourage you through the hard times, who are going to encourage you to go be with those people because that might be the sacrifice you have to make to give up your reputation like Jesus when he sat relaxed with notorious sinners. The Pharisees were like, what is he doing? Why is he meeting with them? Because they had a different vision. But I can imagine the disciples, in light of what they had experienced with Jesus, were probably like, yep, that's the sacrifice he needs to make. He needs to be able to give up his reputation to the religious people because they, he, they knew that if he would get with the sinners, that they would, if they would encounter his love, that they would come to know Jesus too and follow him. So you need to get people around you. Maybe it's one person or two people, however many it is, who keep you sharp, who keep your vision, who keep your head straight forward. Because you will be tempted to look all over the place. And left to ourselves, we will look all over the place. And we need people who will keep us looking forward. Fifth stone, to knock out Goliath. Now that you see it, are you willing to say it? This is what I know. Is when we see something it can be really easy to keep that vision to ourselves because we recognize the cost. The thing about faith is faith is risky. Faith is dangerous. And God will give you visions of things that are scary and dangerous. 
If the vision that you have requires no sacrifice, no risk, no danger, if it doesn't scare you, then you're not dreaming big enough. If you might not have to surrender your reputation or be criticized by religious people, then it might not be scandalous enough. Because the love of God will make you do scandalous things. Not the way that we in our culture understand scandal. But again, sitting at tables with notorious sinners, relaxed, not uptight and rigid and self-righteous, but in a way that's graceful and loving, that brings transformation. Here's the thing, again, once you see it, are you really willing, because what I know, because we were created in the image and the likeness of God, is when we say something, it says that God spoke it into existence. The Bible also says that our words have the power of life and death. When you see it, are you willing to say it? Knowing that although it might take time and again you'll face challenges and tribulations, that the more that you say and speak it out is just you getting closer and closer to the redemptive future and life that God has for you. When you see it, are you willing to say it? So that's going to start playing. This is what I want to do. I want to transition into a time of prayer. Um, if you'd stand up. I want to read you one more scripture. Joel, if you'd put up Isaiah 43, 16 through 21. Right before we pray, that's what it says. It says, Isaiah, this is what God says. The God who builds a road right through the ocean, who carves a path through pounding waves, the God who summons horses and chariots and armies. They lie down and they can't get up. They snuffed out like, this, like so many candles. Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over the old history. Be alert, be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert, rivers in the badlands, wild animals will say, thank you, the coyotes and the buzzards. Because I provided water in the desert, rivers through the sun-baked earth, drinking water for the people I chose the people I made especially for myself, a people custom made to praise me. God has something brand new in front of you. It might look old in the sense that maybe it's a relationship from old or the person you used to be, but it's that thing is behind you and the new thing is in front of you. This is why I think it's so interesting that it, it, it prefaces that comment talking about who God is. Because again, you need to know that the thing in front of you is already prepared before you by God. You don't have to conjure it up. You don't have to work hard enough to get it. It's already in front of you. But will you see it? And will you speak it into existence and partner with God as he brings it to you?